and lover of all things lit, professional reviewer, recommender, book blogger. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, aka The Book Sage, and you're listening to Lit with Lloyd, courtesy of KCAT Radio. Greetings, literary fans. Uh, I'm Lloyd Russell, and this is the sixth podcast of Lit with Lloyd. Uh, thanks, as always, to KCAT for hosting and providing us with this great opportunity to talk to Bay Area authors. Our guest today is Cara Black. She has written 19 books in a series set in Paris about private investigator M.A. Leduc. Her most recent book, Three Hours in Paris, is an historical fiction novel that imagines an assassination attempt on Hitler by a female American sniper. Cara has been nominated for a whole bunch of awards, and we are thrilled to have her here with us today. Welcome, Cara. Thanks for making yourself available today. Uh, I appreciate it, just as I did when you came to our book club twice. Uh, start by telling us your Bay Area roots and why Paris. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it's nice to be with you again, Lloyd, actually. <laughs> We're kind of in person. Um, <laughs> No, it's it's great. Um, so my very area roots are I, I we moved here from Chicago when I was five years old. We lived in Woodside. Uh, I grew up there. Uh, went to Woodside High, but we lived in the poor part of Woodside. I hasten <laughs> to add the non-horse zoned area. <laughs> I actually walked to school at Woodside High. I went to Sacred Heart uh, with you know French uh, French uh, nuns taught us you know and so I learned a very strange kind of French which I found was super old French when I got there um, my dad was a Francophile uh, my uncle had lived in Paris after World War II and studied you know in the GI Bill but he just drank a lot of red wine <laughs> and um, so we had this strange sort of Francophile atmosphere in our home even though we are not French and um, so I, I went to France and, you know, went hitchhiking. I, I went back over the years and then it was probably in the eight, it was in the 80s. That's right. Um, my friend uh, took me to the Marais in Paris, uh, which was then totally ungentrified, really uh, very different from what many of your listeners will know, and uh-huh. uh, showed me the apartment where her mother, who'd been a hidden Jewish girl during the German occupation, uh, fourteen years old uh, was hiding when her family were taken. Uh. So that really, you know, that just kind of stuck in my head. And um, ten years later, I I went back there with my son, who was very little, and uh, I, you know, I thought about that. And I remember I I went out at night after I put him to bed. You know, he's now just bought a house in Denver, so it's quite <laughs> different, as I was telling you. But um, he. You know, I, I walked out and I think I found the apartment my friend's mother had lived in, I'm not sure. And it really hit me then because now I had a young child and I thought, what if I had been a young mother during the German occupation? What would I have done, you know, to feed him, to, to keep a roof over our head? You know, all those things that must have just been awful for people to try and figure out. So I had a different kind of, um, you know, feeling about this. And, and my dad, who was a huge reader said, why don't you write about that? So voila, my life of crime started there. <laughs> wow. Uh, how did you pick how did you pick the subject matter? Uh, and and if I'm not mistaken, each each book takes place in a different 
section or our own, our own de small our of own Paris. Small, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I did take French in college. Okay. Well, it's showing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was the first story. It was really a, a labor. I don't want to say just love, but it was I'm dying to tell this story. I was trying to figure out what it would have been like, you know, trying to put myself, you know, how would I have handled it? How would a character have handled it? So I wrote the story, Murder in the Marais. And then uh, I thought, you know, that was really good. And then my editor said, well, where is Amy Le Duc, who I, you know, invented while I was writing, I uh, have French, half American, where's Amy going next? And I said, excuse me? And she said, well, what about her dog and the man she met and her partner? And you are writing a series, aren't you? And I lied and said, of course. <laughs> so I just moved to the arrondissement where I was staying with my friend sleeping on her couch. Uh, she was. She also had a young child, so I would go stay with her. And so I started writing about what could be a crime that my detective could investigate in her neighborhood. Because I got to know it. And um, yeah, and then the next one. and. They wanted a contract, they wanted another book, and I just moved her around. I mean, she was a detective, so it was great. She could move around the different districts of Paris. Okay, I, I, I want to ask you more about this, but but as a, just a side note, can I ask you if the 14-year-old girl survived? Yes, and she is still alive. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And are you in contact with her? I have been, yeah. Her mother, the, who was 14 at the time, my friend Sarah is my, my age, but yeah, yeah, uh, her mother survived, Wow. Uh, lived in the apartment alone until liberation, uh, was, was hidden by different people. Wow. And even though it was French police who had rounded up her family on German orders, the concierge's daughter was a police, concierge's son was a policeman and he actually told her to hide when they came back to look for her. Wow. So the thing is about collaboration and the occupation, it's about the gray areas. You know, no one is completely right or wrong in, in a very trying times. We have to ask ourselves, what would we do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've all heard so many stories like this and Certainly, you know, historical fiction is one of my favorite genres. I know. <laughs> but you actually lived it. And that's that's really, a, really crazy. Um, OK, back to Amy LeDuc. When did the first book come out? I believe it was published in 99, 1999. OK. And you wrote 19 straight books about Amy. Mm -hmm. Her investigations. Yeah. Yes. Why Three Hours in Paris, which is <laughs> nothing like Amy LeDuc. Well, I guess there was a thriller writer inside of me bursting to come out. Um, <laughs> and I had so much historical details about World War II and the occupation because as I was going every year, sometimes twice, staying with friends, researching the Amy books, you know, going to the different districts and, and being in the Cartier, meeting experts or meeting people who'd lived through that time. I met a lot of people. I would start to... You know, I have my little notebooks. I love these notebooks I get in Paris. You know, those really cool ones. So I have one for, you know, kind of different language. I have all different kinds. But there was one that was always these historical details. You know, where was the building with the bullet holes in it? Where was this? Where was that? Or this is where the Germans had a, a radio station underground. All these things that I would hear about. So they went in the notebook. They didn't go in an Amy story. You know, it was just not, not those sometimes... It depends on the story, what fits. And my editor said, you know, you've, you know, sometimes she would say, this is great detail. These are really 
this is really interesting, but it doesn't belong in an AMA book. Put it aside. So I did, you know. And after a while, I started having a lot of those. And in between AMA books, I started writing a rough draft. Very, very rough. And then it was very much my editor who was saying, you know, put that there. You know, don't throw anything out. And it was maybe four years ago. I was reading a, just a regular history book about World War II, as I often do, mm-hmm. and there was a little footnote at the bottom of the page, and it said, Hitler came to Paris for three hours, and he left and he never returned. Whoa. And I was like, what? Why? Why would, you know, why? that? It was all his. Why didn't he have a big parade down the Champs-Élysées and, and all this? So I just got trying to find out. I got this bee in my bonnet because it didn't, I didn't, you know, did he come back again on a secret trip? No, he never did. And he was a Francophile. So then I found the two, um, like, autobiographies or memoirs of Albert Speer, his architect, and Arno Brecker, his uh, sculptor. Two men, and you can go on YouTube and watch them going around Paris because they filmed it. Um, And these men were both with him in this very small coterie of people. And they le- and they left, and they both wrote their books after the war. They lived and survived, uh, and Speer was a long time in prison. And so Speer wrote that they did this trip that you can see on YouTube, uh, June 28th, I believe, you know, and drove around Paris three hours and left. Arno Brecker said that they did it on June 23rd. Early Sunday morning, which made a lot of sense because Hitler had just signed the armistice up in the northern part of France and Belgium. So it made sense, right, to come down. And I went, then they never rescinded this. This is always, you know, these accounts stand. They stuck to those two two separate dates. They did. Never changed. Wow. And they were friends. I mean, they knew each other. You know, they, and I mean, even, and so some historians, many historians go with June 23rd. Some go with June 28th. And I was like, there's something there. There's something there. There's a reason. And you know that what if that spins in a mystery writer's head. It's like, what if someone took a shot at at Hitler? Why not? I mean, he was, there were not hundreds, there were about 15 attempts against Hitler's life during his whole period from 1933. I mean, people did take attempts on his life. And knowing the French, who are so volatile then and now, <laughs> why wouldn't it stand to re- reason someone could have taken a shot at him? You know, there could have been an assassin. And I decided, well, I guess you just have to be American, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> why not? <laughs> and there, there's many reasons, you know, if you read the book, why it was this person. But um, yeah, I know there was something there. It just doesn't make sense. And I think when you look at the newsreel on YouTube and you see them, it was perfectly edited, okay? And Goebbels was back in Berlin cutting, you know, cutting at all these, you know, damage control, doing damage control, as we well know, and putting out faux news all the time. I believe he cut those little snippets out and they rushed Hitler away. I mean, that's my own. I'm not a historian, but I certainly think that's possible. I mean, why? And I thought, why didn't people grill them over this. I don't know. I mean, of course, there were many other crimes, but um, so that just, my editor said, you need to write that. And I went, okay. She said, you've got a lot of material. Go for it. How long from when you started taking notes to the time that the book was done? 
Oh, long time, long time. It was always my little side thing, you know. Um, draft wise, maybe six years ago, I started kind of shaping a draft. So it's just kind of been on the side while I did the other. Um, but I grew up reading thrillers, my dad's thrillers. My dad has a whole shelf, Lo he loved to read. He loved uh, The Eye of the Needle, um, the one of the Jackal, Day of the Jackal. Yeah, Follett stuff. Right, and my dad, you know, and I read them when I was young. I think maybe secretly it kind of influenced me. Oh, wow. But when you watch The Day of the Jackal, you watch the film or you, you read the book, we know what happens, you know, spoiler alert, De Gaulle lives. <laughs> spoiler alert, you know, Hitler survives. But how are we fascinated by the technique or what happens? You have this hit person, right? It's fascinating. I, I, I watch it every year. I love the film. I watch it every year and I'm always thinking, oh, I didn't think about, you know, there's always something new I find. Well, I mean, the, the, the assassination attempt on Hitler is early in the book. And of course, the rest of the book is about the the female sniper, uh, and it's it's a it's a wonderful book. But Daniel Silva wrote three books before he started the Gabriel Alon series. Oh, really? And, and in fact, one of them, uh, The Unfaithful Spy, is actually my favorite of his. But I, now, after he's written fifteen to twenty of them, I don't know what I would do if I saw that he came out with something that was a standalone. How has your standalone been received by your your readers. Oh, people like it. I mean, you know, I mean, they know Amy's coming back and she is next year in March. Okay. But <laughs> I have to say in my, in the mystery community, I don't, there's many writer people I know who've been writing for a long time, who I kind of came up with, who have written series. Then they write maybe six in a series and then they want to, you know, cleanse their palate and they write another series or they write a standalone yeah. or a thriller, right? So. Many of my friends have done that, and they're going like, Carrie, you've been 18, 19 books. When is that standalone coming out? And then I asked, okay, I asked Lee Child, who I know. I mean, we all know each other in the mystery community at the bar once at a big convention. Lee, what do you think about standalones? And he goes, great, you know, fine, you know, why not? You know, you, I said, would you go from Jack Reacher? And he goes, yeah, you know, he hasn't. But, you know, he, he sort of said, you can do it, Carrie. gave me the seal of approval. But um, it's not like, you know, it, it's set in Paris, so it's always okay if I can write about Paris. Yeah, and do you do you go to Paris to research before each of the books? Well, I have been going, apart from, you know, COVID, I have been going like twice a year, once a year, because I have a friend and I can stay with them too. And when I go, I research, I'm not doing, you know, the Tour d'Argent meal. Um, and my husband won't go with me because he said, you're just working all the time. So, and I go, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, so I'm not on these, you know, I'm, I'm sort of there working. So I don't go to Paris for one book. I'm always amassing. You know, as a writer, it's always about everything is fodder, right? So you're always squirreling it away in some little pocket or some little note, in notebooks. And it'll, in a file, and it'll be like, yeah, what about that? So often, like for two books ago, I was going to set it in this district, and I was like, I need the crime, the crime that is organic to this place. And then I went, oh, yeah, it's it's that thing I wrote about, and I found my notebook from three years before, and that crime works there. So sometimes it's always, you're always amassing information, at least I am, meeting people, and I can make files, you know, different areas, different kind of street, different professions, 
who at the contact I have in the police might know this person. And sometimes a policeman or law enforcement or art, art or the art cops are really fun. And they'll go, <laughs> why don't you do this, you know, and we'll help you because we want you to get it right. So it's kind of cool that they'll sit and I'll say, what, what works? You know, is this plausible? Would this happen? And now, because they're older now, and they're, they, you know, they're retiring too, so they can talk a little more freely. I always say, though, if you know, if you, if this is sensitive or you don't want me to, just tell me, you know. But again, it's I don't write a police procedural, but I do need to be informed. Yep. Oh, that's fantastic! All right, so so Amy Leduc, number twenty, is coming out next March. Mm -hmm. Have you thought beyond that one as to what might come after that? Oh, sure. Well, the, that title is Murder at the Port de Versailles, and that's done and dusted. Um, we are looking at covers for it. Um, the the book that is the, would you call it sequel, the further Kate Reese adventures as a sniper, I've sent it to my editor because I was home all last year, remember, Lloyd? Yes, <laughs> I yes. wrote two books <laughs> because I was home. Um, and so I have written a Another one. I have no word from my editor yet. And then I'm going to Paris unless something happens, um, knock on wood, in end of August to uh, teach a workshop and to do research for Amy. Next one. Wow. That's so cool. I hope I get to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go back 20 plus years. You've written your first Amy LaDuke. Tell us the process of getting an agent, editor, publisher, or agent, publisher, editor. Sure. Um, so that was in the you know the dark days or the old fashioned days of 1990s. It's you know before there was self publishing or hybrid publishing. Uh -huh. So I you know and I was very I didn't really understand it. My husband had a bookstore, so he would ah. go to the ABA. What do they call it now? The big book. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he would go and buyers, uh, book, book buyers, or not buyer, you know, the sales reps would come talk to him and come and talk to him about books. And so he got to meet a lot of people and he met people at Soho Press who published a line of foreign mysteries. And he, you know, he would see them every year and he goes, you know, my wife's kind of working on this thing. And would you be interested? Because you publish foreign mysteries, which in the 90s, this is before the girl with the dragon tattoo, before the Nordic, before a lot of we started getting here in our uh -huh. country, right? Foreign uh -huh. mystery. Yeah, yeah. So then I started, you know, he started telling me, you know, I asked, could I query them? Would it be okay? I'd finish the manuscript. And I queried them directly because they did not require an agent ah. to submit. Oh, it's wow. changed. It's changed now, but then. Oh, okay. So I did and yeah. Who did who did you end up signing with? Soho Press. Soho Press. Okay. Are you still with them today? I'm still with them. Oh my gosh. That, did you ever get an agent or you just never needed to? So when I got a contract, um, one of my friends said, you've got to have a lawyer or, or a agent look at it. And I said, I'm going to sign it anyway. She said, no, you're, you've got to be businesslike. You've got to have someone professional look at it. So there was a woman, Linda Allen, who lived in the city. She was Lori King's agent. Uh-huh. And uh, I said, could I pay you, you know, to look this over for an hour, you know, whatever. And she did, and it was fine. And then we agreed to stay in contact. And then later on, when uh, I saw her again, she said, Cara, do you not want an agent or do you want an agent? And I said, yeah, I'd like one. She goes, let's have lunch. <laughs> so, that's, so I was with Linda 
who did, you know, but again, I established the relationship with Soho. Yeah, yeah. And I was with Linda until she retired. And then I was referred to another agent uh, with Curtis Brown. Wow. And and you're with that second agent still? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you had, I, 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 authors have told, told us about how important the editor is. Have you had the same editor the whole time? So when I was signed, I was signed by the owner of the Soho Press, wow. Laura, Laura Haruska, who was small, it's a small operation. And she edited me and so did um, another person there who left later. But Laura uh, edited me for many books. Um, incredible, incredible editor. Huh. She passed and then her daughter, Bronwyn Haruska, took over Soho. Uh, she was a journalist for KQED at one time uh. up in the city. And um, Bronwyn hired editors um, and Juliet Grams, who is my editor. I'm still, she's still editing and, my books. And author. And author, yeah. yeah, Juliet, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. So I'm kind of, I think for most of your authors, I've been with the same publisher for every book. So that's probably different, I would imagine. A little unusual, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you you obviously have had a lot of success with the Amy LaDuke series. I want to explore that a little bit more. Were you ever tempted to uh, contact the uh, the Penguin Random Houses and the Simon and Schuster's at all? To 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 actually go into a, go with a bigger publisher? Well, you know, it's it's kind of I was told that it's kind of impolite. You know, it's just not good good stuff to do that they all know each other you know all these people the reps the agents the publishers and especially it used to be in new york you know people well i mean I, maybe it still is they you know they still meet up and they talk people it's a small world in that kind of especially crime world i mean i would meet different editors different houses at these big mystery conferences and talk to them um and one time my editor said what were you doing talking to that editor over at saint martin's and i go <laughs> Well, he's a nice guy and we were talking. So someone's good. That's good. You know. But what I have heard and I haven't tested this is that if you've done a series and any other publisher would be reluctant to, to take your new book, they want the whole series. They'd have to buy your back uh, uh-huh. backlist, right? The backlist. So if it, you know, if someone wanted to buy the Amy, they have to buy 20 books. You know, it's it's a lot of money, you yeah, know, yeah, just yeah. for one book. So that's the thing with series that you kind of have to bring the whole series aboard and it's harder and more expensive. Yeah. But still, with Three Hours in Paris, you still stayed with Soho. Yeah. And they're very good to me. They yeah. did incredible things. This book, they really pushed. So that's the advantage. And the, the, you know, we're like family kind of. I mean, they were behind this book. They did incredible mm-hmm. things for this book, which I wouldn't get at a big house, uh-huh. what I believe. You know, and they really have gone to bat. So they'll do things for me that, you know, probably, you know, it's talking about being a little fish in a big sea or a big fish in a little sea. I'm not saying that's me, but, but we have a relationship and they have gone all out for this book, too. That's great. Now, uh, because they're a smaller press, do you have input in terms of the audiobook narrator and the ebook or the uh, print book covers? Well, I don't know. <laughs> we want to go into the covers because, <laughs> but uh, I used to. I used to have a lot more than I do now. They used to actually use my photos because it was. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, a little bit. I did get a. Uh, 
on this the woman who did the audio for three hours in Paris uh-huh. I did get a chance to choose her and I've heard she's great she's a real I mean, she's a pro she does really big big authors and most people like the audio of this book and I got to say yeah I could have this one or that one. Oh, that's so, good yeah uh, have you received any kind of like um, award nominations yeah, it was just nominated. Uh, Three Hours in Paris was nominated for the Dashiell Hammett. Ah. Uh, which is kind of, you know, a very, you know, I didn't win, but it was nice to be nominated. It was, it's quite an honor to. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. And over the years, I've been nominated. I don't know. What did. Oh, yes. And a couple of years ago, I won the um, the NCIBA Northern California. They have a different name now. They've merged with uh, Southern California, Caliba, I think it is. Uh-huh, yeah, but I've indi- heard of them. Right, independent booksellers. From yeah, yeah, different. yeah. And I got the, um, uh, oh, what am I going to, oh, I forgot his name. <laughs> I'm just blanking. Martin Smith, Martin Cruz Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gave, I had a, an award for, I think it was Murder in Bel Air. He gave me, I got the, Martin J. Cruz Smith Award or something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I would just, he's my, I love his books. Yeah, right? that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, which which brings up another question I haven't asked before. Are there other mystery writers that have their own awards like that? Because I haven't heard of that of that happening before. There are. There's this Mary Higgins Clark Award. Oh, okay. Right, for, you know, female, or I think it's mostly female, uh, domestic suspense, the kind of books Mary wrote. Yeah, there's a few. Um, you know, which is always an honor. That's the one only two I can think of yeah, right now. That's really cool. Uh, have has your series or has this book generated any interest with TV or movie studios? The series, yes, it's been optioned several times. <laughs> you know, over the years, we've heard this before, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. And we have someone interested now, so it's always up and down. It, it seems like such a great series to be a like a like. Uh, an actual year after year series, you know, with the same uh, PI as so many others we've seen. I know. I mean, with all these people saying, oh, we need content, you know, for our streaming series. We're like, well, let's go to Paris. I mean, come on. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and I think I mean, I just don't know. I mean, I hope so. I would I just think it does. I mean, I like to think people have told me the series feels very visual, you know, and I said, that's great because I'm working. When I come home from Paris after being there, I'm in a you know place like this, you know, dark, almost a dark room. I'm <laughs> writing. I've got to go to Paris to write about it. So I'm also have putting the photos I take. You know, I print them out. I put, you know, I put on the tape that I've been taping things like in a cafe or something. And I, I try to generate that. I'm thinking always, what does it look like? Trying to put the reader in Amy LeDuc's high heels on that cobbled street in Paris. What is she seeing? What is she smelling? What is she feeling? You know, how does it sound? You know, and all that, lot of smells. And I, I'm trying to put the reader and put myself on that street. And, you know, that's my goal. And so I like to think it's visual and I'm using a lot of sensory detail because that's what I feel when I go to Paris. It's the smells and the sounds. Yeah, yeah. Your stuff is very visual. Thank you. Uh, all right, so before we wrap up, uh, we do a little trivia at the end of each of our sessions. I got three trivia facts for you. The most expensive book ever sold was a scientific journal by Leonardo da Vinci called Codex Leicester. Do you have any any thought on how much money that sold for? Anybody in the studio 
Any any guesses as to how much this sold for? The most the the highest the most expensive book ever sold. Yeah, I mean forty five million. Oh, not bad. Thirty point eight. Oh, yeah, you were in the ballpark. Oh, just out of the top of my yeah, head. I know. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, in Victor Hugo's Les Misérables, there is an eight hundred and twenty three word sentence. And that might not even not, not even be the longest sentence in the book. <laughs> I love that. Uh, here's a good one. Leo Tolstoy's wife copied the 1,400-page War and Peace seven times by hand. <laughs> uh, I, I hope I hope he was nice to her. I mean, I, that that I, that's inconceivable. I write a paragraph and my hand hurts. I, I, oh my it's, God. Isn't that crazy? Kudos to her. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, all right, well, I gotta tell you, Cara, that that went way too fast. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're so interesting. Uh, and even after having you at the book club twice, I learned a bunch of stuff today that I didn't know about you. Uh, and, and it's just fantastic that you came. I, I so appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me and it's great to be here and, you know, let's do it again. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and thanks again to KCAT for hosting us. You just heard Lit with Lloyd here on KCAT Radio. Explore all our KCAT original programming at kcat.org slash radio.